Hi, everybody. I'm George, and welcome to the first episode of Plutember 2022. That's right. It's Plutember once again, and that means I'll be visited by the spirits of We Heard About Pluto three times, the Psych Rewatch podcast that I additionally host. The first will be the spirit of JP here this week. Then the spirit of Riggs will visit next week. And finally, they will join together for a visit where they try to save my immortal soul, or at least talk about a movie that I get to pick for once. So... Is that an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato, or is that the spirit of JP himself? Welcome, pal. I oh thought there was more God. of a gravy than a grave about you. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. And George, welcome. I really want to welcome you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me. This is. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this is really your thing that you have developed from We Heard About Pluto. I like it. I appreciate it. It's nice to be welcome to my own. It show. feels good, right? People don't do it. Yeah. No, no, you're always welcoming welcoming other people. I think you deserve a chance to be welcomed, and you are welcome here, George. Please note that you're welcome, but I did not invite you in. But of course, that is a reference to vampirism because the movie we're talking about today is The Lost Boys from 1987. Wowie, what a picture! I mean, I'm just stoked that it's finally Kiefer's time to shine in the horror house. Baby. Oh my god! And, and, and you know he hasn't done that much in the in the uh, genre, but boy, he kills it in this one, and it's just so great to see Kiefer pre drunken tackling a Christmas tree video. Like this is this right. is Kiefer in his prime. Yeah, I actually never watched Twenty Four, but I just love seeing him pop up in movies. Like it's- he's so great in Stand by Me. And Fire Walk With Me, the Twin Peaks movie, uh, I, I, he's fucking amazing in it. That's, it's sad that that group of actors, like the, 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 the hot guys of the 80s, kind of all really burned themselves <laughs> out. Like, at least uh, Robert Downey Jr. kind of came out recovered. I think Kiefer's yeah. still a bit of a mess, from, from what I understand. He's just, he's holding on with uh, with Kojima doing uh, Metal Gear Solid games. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot about that. Yep. 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 He took over. That's right. Apparently, he was still a bit of a wild man, even at the time. Uh, Jamie Gertz, who plays Star, was describing the challenges of shooting, and she said, quote, Running through real caves without shoes, riding on the back of a motorcycle with Kiefer Sutherland driving. I love Kiefer, but he's an animal. Don't worry. Don't worry, he says. Then he pops a wheelie and he breaks his hand, which is actually why he wears gloves in this movie. Uh, Okay. I am here to learn, and I am already learning. That's awesome. So Kiefer, Kiefer was a nut job on, uh, on set then. But they, they said that they liked him. It was uh, more youthful shenanigans at the time, <laughs> I believe. Wow. He actually also did have the least amount of dialogue for a principal actor, but he just draws you in, man. This is Kiefer's movie as far as I'm concerned. I, it's so funny. I fully agree with that. And one of the things I noticed watching it this time is there aren't a lot of lines of dialogue for anyone besides Haim and Feldman. Yeah. You know, Jason Patrick doesn't have the most. He's brooding. <laughs> oh my god, he's so brooding in this movie. Jamie Gertz, not, I love her, love her. Always have loved her, always will love her. She's got like four lines in the movie. <laughs> she's yeah. A lot of it is spoken through costuming, hair, and really, really just long, full glances across the room. Yeah. No, get Lemmy! <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, we, we'll have plenty of time, but I do want to talk about right, right at the top, dude. Every character in this has either a hippie name or a biblical name, and there's no middle ground. Hell yeah. Laddie and Star, but then you've also got Michael and David and Samuel and the gran- Grandpa. I don't think Grandpa actually ever is given a name besides Grandpa. He's in the credits as Grandpa. 
I think that his name is just Grandpa. That that's just his given name. So, this was directed by Joel Schumacher, his fourth movie, although the first choice was Richard Franklin of Psycho 2 fame, back when it was going to be just Peter Pan with vampires, and it was going to be little children running around. So, quite a shift, quite a shift, and then uh, Richard Donner was eyed to direct, and that was going to be, like, the Goonies, basically. But then he was like, oh, shoot, I just read Shane Black's amazing script for Lethal Weapon, so I'm going to go direct that, but I'll still produce this. So two hits for Donner in, in, in 87. Not too shabby. You can still see some Donner on this. I yeah. mean, there's, there's, he, he's got a distinctive style. I, I did, tell me more about this Peter Pan version of it, though. Obviously, the, the name The Lost Boys evokes that. Yeah. And, and there's things you can, you can certainly draw comparisons to the, the Peter Pan Lost Boys. But it, this was originally going to be about children? The Frog Brothers were going to be like scouts. And they were going to be, like, truly, like, eight-year-olds. And they were going to be fighting, like, ten-year-old vampires <laughs> who were, like, running around. Oh, my God. And they were going to be truly like the Lost Boys. Like, uh, you know, more more akin to the Peter Pan version than... That would have been a wild film. I'm glad that's not what we got. Yeah, it was literally going to be G. Like, it was going to be, like, rated G. And Schumacher was like, that's I'm not going to do that. No. <laughs> but Donner scooped Schumacher, who was at the time kind of known for comedies, although his career was not going super great, out of development hell with the adaptation of Bright Lights Big City that would eventually come out in 88, with Diane Weist actually in that too. She's a gift. She's a gem. Oh, she she certainly is. I also love this quote from Donner's producing partner, Harvey Bernhard, who said, Joel thinks in color when they asked him why they chose Joel. What a great... What a compliment. Well, you see it on the screen here, huh? Yeah. Yeah. There's dramatic lighting effects in this movie that we hadn't seen since Creepshow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's real, real drastic. I, I mean that as a compliment. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. I, do, I see how he, uh, he, he thinks in color. Yeah. So Joel is an interesting choice. He was openly gay, and there is plenty of queer subtext to this movie. Although there are also some things that become kind of weird if you look at it through that lens. So really more of just kind of like a vibe. <laughs> What going on? I hadn't considered that when I had watched it as a kid. I told, I told George when we were preparing for this, I hadn't seen it in like 25, 30 years. We had this on VHS. We actually had this chess with The Monster Squad, and I love both of those movies dearly because mm-hmm. we taped them off HBO or something. I watched this a ton as a kid. I didn't pick up on any of that queer subtext. And let me tell you, boy, howdy, there's a lot of queer subtext in this. I mean... A, a, and, oh, yeah. and even just like the the base story of like these are the outcasts and the misfits living on the fringes of society, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of femininity to all of the vampires. There's a lot of Michael Jackson to all the costuming, Corey Haim and Jason Patrick between the brothers. There are expressions of male to male physical affection in this that are. Very deliberate, because they occur a lot. So Joel talks about wanting to play up the natural eroticism of vampires. And he said, Vampires are sexy, as opposed to other great monsters. They're beautifully dressed. They come into your bedroom. I actually think, in Victorian times, vampires were created so that people could express oral sex. Think of those Victorian ladies who used to swoon all the time in their musty old houses. They dreamed of old men sucking the life out of them and of themselves being so totally under their spell that they were unable to resist. We're not going for a very classic vampire, not as you've seen them so many times. They don't sleep in coffins. There's no neck biting. They're not dressed in white tie and tails or capes, but they're beautiful. 
Vampire legends are etched so indelibly in everybody's mind that you don't have to retread ground. And I think that that's so interesting. You know, you get your style watershed moments, and this movie really functions as one. It turned vampires youthful. You know, you also mentioned off air that there's a lot of inspiration for stuff like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is so, so wrapped up in that yep. that youth. Yep. And, and another one that, you, you, know? you, you, you know, we'll get to it in the plot, but there's a point where the Frog Brothers are just absolutely doused in so much vampire blood. It's a really great scene. But then when they get out into the sunlight, the blood is literally sparkles and glitter, which, which like... It sure was. There's no way you can say that, that Twilight wasn't impacted by this. But you're absolutely right. Prior to this, any vampires you've seen are... the I love that. The tie and tails, like the the real formal vampire. Sure, and the cow. Old, yeah. And, and this is like, no, what if vampires were young and sexually attractive? And, mm-hmm. like, every one of them, from the, the one with the long hair to the other one with the long hair. No, and, like, Jamie Gertz's character, star, like, these are gorgeous, gorgeous people. It's also interesting just because, I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit before what you were saying, but... The 80s, the look, there's a lot of androgyny happening. 100%. And I think that it helps to kind of blur that line in a way that lends to the thematic subtext, you know? When I think of 80s movies, most of the time, they're so hyper gender role. They're so men being men and women being women. And, like, they look Mm -hmm. like men, they, they act like men, they look like women, they act like women. And this one just bucks all of that. You're absolutely right. There's so much androgyny to the costuming and the makeup and the hair. Mm-hmm. There's an ephemeral feel to the vampires. There's something fey about them. In their clothing, mm-hmm. in their 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 den, like they really capture this new aesthetic that you then see. I, you're absolutely right. You see that echoed throughout ever since. Like vampires are young and sexy now. I will say when Joel was listing off other creatures, he specifically said that Godzilla was wasn't very kissable. <sighs> And I'm like, come on, you gotta give him a little you smooch. Gotta, you gotta smooch a Godzilla. Godzilla's a loving parent. <laughs> I, I'm, whereas my brain was like, okay, uh, we all know that the creature from the Black Lagoon absolutely fucks. <laughs> <laughs> different swim strokes for different folks. <laughs> that's good, that's good. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> got him. <laughs> and uh, I also think that you can really feel that youthful energy in the setting. You know, the boardwalk. There's an endless summer feeling to it. Joel said in the commentary, if you were a teenage vampire, you'd definitely live in Santa Cruz. I was like, okay, Joel. <laughs> I mean, it, but yes, it, you got to love that constant, like the merry-go-round sounds, the Ferris wheel. They throw, mm. they even throw some like carnival sounds in at the end. Like it's a uh, a pipe organ version of La Cucaracha playing triumphantly. <laughs> like, like they really, but it, it is, it's, I think it's always been one of my favorite things about this movie is it's packed. Full. Every shot feels deliberate. Every sound choice feels deliberate. The sound of them when they fly, I, and it, it, it evokes bats. While I don't think it's meant to imply that they really are turning into bats, but like there's flapping noises. Like they just make these little choices like that that create this really. It feels like a very fully fleshed out world. Like I, I think that I think that Joel probably put a lot more thought into things that didn't make the uh, make the cut. So you rep Maryland pretty hard. I'm curious if you are a Boardwalk fan. I'm a big Boardwalk fan. Although West Coast Boardwalks are a lot nice. different than East Coast Boardwalks because East, it's yeah. There's we don't have that kind of like culture, coolness, and like 
youthful gangs getting up to no good. Um, yeah. And you also can't really go <laughs> under the boardwalks in Maryland. The weather's not good enough to hang out. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no, I do, though. I, I think that's another reason I love this. We grew up, uh, we always went down Ocean City, Maryland for the summers. And it just, it, I love a good Beach Town movie. Plus, it creates, it, yeah. it does have that, it's like a Stephen King it kind of thing where it's like there's certain members of society where if they go missing or they're just not accounted for they're a part of that culture that's so transient and disappears and it well chosen if i was a vampire i don't know if i would live there though they they lived in kind of a garbage garbage (laughs) hovel you'd think that you would be like i'm gonna pick somewhere where it's gloomy a lot (laughs) i can be outside Absolutely. Or flip, you could do the 30 days of night thing where you, you're like, I'm just going to sure. go somewhere where it's dark all the time and never have to hide. There you go. Done and dusted. <laughs> <laughs> I also like the boardwalk. I, uh, you know, who doesn't love some amusement park mm-hmm. rides and stuff? And you got to get like a funnel cake and stuff. It's yeah, a good you time. You play one of those dumb games like shoot the clown in the mouth to, with the water gun to fill the balloon oh. or classic horse race by throwing classic balls. shoot the clown in the mouth to fill the balloon. <laughs> The DP also helps a lot with capturing this feeling. It's the incredible Michael Chapman, who has worked a bunch with Marty. He did The Last Waltz and Taxi Driver and Raging oh, Bull. Wow. And uh, this man can shoot a scene, baby. I mean, those moments you talked about, lots of great swooping around. Very active camera. It's it, really it, cool. The, the camera work in this is really fun. And and the shots, there's yeah. not that many framed acting shots that blew me away but a lot of the the resolves or the or just like doing like a panning shot or like they're flying over Mm -hmm. the amusement park like it's just there's Mm -hmm. there's some really cool beautifully shot things in this yeah a lot of cool helicopter shots i also i mean maybe you wouldn't call this like an acting shot but like when um when they like roll up over the hill and the like light is casting from from behind them and stuff Uh, i said it before but the 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 use of lighting in this is just it's really brilliantly like and over dramatically done it's much more 70s than it is anything else in my mind i love the scene where they're in the tree and the just the only lighting is is the the, what's supposed to be the yellow light from the camp from the the bonfire and they, they they light it real drastically and that's where you see the first reveal of Kiefer as the vampire. It is spooky. It's a spooky, spooky shot. (laughs) Um, Joel said something interesting in the commentary because I, the Blu-ray has a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff on there. He talked about how MTV, which came out a little bit before this movie, Not not much, but a little bit helped to educate a generation of people about like surreal and non sequitur storytelling, which then helped prime people for some of the stranger moments, like the first drink of the blood. You know, you get these mixed images together for a generation of people that that wasn't something that was in a lot of the media they were consuming until MTV came around and it kind of had that new shock aesthetic. And, and he specifically called it out as a, as an influence and, and helping to uh, translate his images to the audience. So there you go. It's fascinating. I mean, you can see you can see that because it isn't a straightforward beat by beat story. And there are there's there's right. weird. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I really want to digest on that one because it's fascinating because I think that storytelling through music videos was a start that a lot of people got that turned that into making amazing movies that are a little more surreal I'm, I'm thinking of michelle gondry amazing amazing did amazing videos for years uh and then just yeah. has schumacher himself has done plenty of music videos i didn't know that yeah oh that's rad yeah he, he, he did a bunch it was funny he talked about uh a lot of the bands that like 
gave their music to this. He was like, we can't pay you anything, but like, I'll owe you a music video. <laughs> and he said a couple people took him up on that. Can we talk about Sexy Sax Man? Sure. He's incredible. He's amazing! And he's the most 80s thing ever in a movie that's <laughs> chock full of 80s things. Sweaty, shirtless, buff, lead singer, saxophone player in a band that's playing yeah. at the beach. And he's just amazing. It's powerful. He's oiled up, mm-hmm. hips gyrating, bare chested. <laughs> uh, he's fucking wailing on that thing, he baby. Is. Oh my god! That's Tim Capello. He was Tina Turner's sax player. Okay, that's a badass claim to fame. Yeah, doing a cover of the Calls. I still believe, and he fucking rocks it right out of the park. <laughs> my only complaint about the soundtrack of this is they have like. Four songs total. <laughs> like, yeah. Look, we hear Cry Little Sister <laughs> about four times, I think. <laughs> oh, but then they also do the heroic, they come up with that heroic music that uh, they play when the Frog Boys are riding up on bikes. And uh, <laughs> they play that a couple of times, too. It's fantastic. Yeah. And then, of course, as as uh, as the aforementioned um, La Cucaracha on Pipe Organ. Of course. Of course. I will say, I have been, like, humming <laughs> Cry Little Sister all night. So... Say what you will, but it works. It gets in your head. It does. It's a great song. So this is a great cast of young stars in their prime. Not only Kiefer, like I mentioned, but Jason Patrick and Jamie Gertz reunited after Solar Babies, and uh, oh, both with a name spelled with missing uh, missing a letter, which That's I thought true. was interesting. That is true. Okay. Oh, you know, no, and then you've got you've got the Corys, Haim, and Feldman. Who, wait, right. Is this Two, their first movie together? Their first Corey venture. Wow. The two yes. And you have Jameson Newlander paired with Feldman as the Frog Brothers. They're doing a fun, tough guy act. Jameson said, so the inspiration for these characters originally when the script was written, it was more of a Goonies for littler kids and stuff. Schumacher had decided to make this into this little more mature, a little more intense, a little darker movie. The Frog Brothers from the beginning, I didn't know that this was funny, our stuff, because he was so intent on making us this really angry, really intense crew. So Schumacher got us to be really committed to being badasses, and I think that's where it came from. I mean, obviously Feldman and I had it in us to carry that out. As an example, when we came to Santa Cruz, we got on the Ferris wheel, and I got sick because I got motion sickness. And Feldman was like, I'm going to tell Joel. And I was like, don't you dare tell Joel that I got sick. So we were really trying to pull off this tough thing, I think. Oh, my God. Um, that Yeah, I mean, nothing says tough like... Not admitting that you threw up on the Ferris wheel. Like, that's exactly. as tough as it gets. That's as tough as it gets, baby. I so, I love that they didn't realize that they were the comic relief because they, they, they do, they, they don't play it hammy or slapsticky. Yeah. Feldman's delivering lines like he, like he did as Mouth and Goonies, but it works. <laughs> and they're, yeah. Like, some of the, the belly laughs in watching this movie for me are watching them. After a scene takes place and they're just, well, Nanook helped a little bit. Like, I, I, like I, I belly laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Bless this movie for not killing Nanook, by the way. You, you, you don't let the dog die. I also just think that it really helps the, like, the characters to take themselves seriously. Like, they're there to kill vampires. And so it's good for the characters to not <laughs> know that they're <laughs> the comic relief. It's a very real reflection of, like, the arrogance of being a teenager and, and thinking that you know everything and thinking that you, you like the world like you're you're a hero in the world just like everybody mm-hmm. else like it's good and the dynamics between the three of them uh, uh, with with Corey Haim becoming the the, the the newest member basically of the Frog Brothers um, 
It does. It, it, I didn't think about the Goonies until they were riding on bikes. And they did the thing that we always did in the 80s where you rode your bike and when you got to the place, jumped off of the still moving bike and just let it crash into something. <laughs> <laughs> that evolved into the skid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think they're great. You know, it's a fun little trio for sure. Jason Patrick, he didn't want to do the movie at first because he was like, oh, I'm worried about it being an exploitation movie. But Joel said there was nobody with those looks and that talent at 18 like him. That's awesome. So he and Jason's manager harassed him for six weeks until he agreed. He's great. He's great. And he, it's really, to me, it's one of his quintessential roles. Like, I think this is, yeah, that's how I see him. Yeah. This is the one for me. This is the one. And he was the one who also insisted that Joel see Jamie because Joel's idea was like a blonde, like, waif. And they couldn't get the right person for it. And um, I think that Jamie Gertz does a great job. I think that, that she is fun and tragic and, and uh, a whole, a whole yeah. lot. I, I can't even one, imagine. Despite her, her limited just so screen perfect time, for this. Yeah. And I, I actually really like the, the, the choosing a brunette instead yeah. of a blonde for, the, for, for, for the, the female lead. And choosing a blonde for the male, uh, for one of the male leads, for, for Kiefer. Mm-hmm. And giving him a mullet, too. That was... Look, he, he makes sure. it look good. Yeah. It's a powerful mullet. Mm-hmm. And you also have a curl mullet on Alex Winter, the youngest lost boy besides the actual child. It's still jarring to see him in this. Even all these years later, it's still... I'm like, no, 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 no. You're supposed yeah. to be hanging out with Ted Theodore Logan and, and, and traveling in time. Yeah, exactly. Something is amiss at the Circle K. <laughs> Rufus. Diane Weiss, we already mentioned, she's fucking incredible here. Has she always been this adorable? She's adorable. Yeah, she's great. And Footloose, she's amazing. I love it. I think she's, she's, she's the mom in parenthood, right? I think so. Yeah. I, I, she, she's, uh, she's, she's great. She's wonderful. She's great. We wonderful. love Diane Weiss on this podcast. We do. We, we are Weiss heads. We've always been. That's right. According to Barnard Hughes, who plays the dad, uh, her dad, he found it helpful to work with Diane to develop a backstory where he was an uptight conservative and his daughter was a hippie, and so she left home because of the difference in values and got married with two kids, then divorced, which leads to a fun reversal where now she's the conservative wage earner and the old man is more of a hippie. It does feel a little more lived in to have that, even if it's not all on screen. They, they have a dynamic that you can read all of that. I, they really do. Yeah. I don't know that I... I she's still hippy-dippy. She, she asks her son, are we still friends? <laughs> like, but like, no, he's... She's got it in her, but she's had to settle down a yes, little bit. Yes, yes. But he definitely is just like, I don't know, I'm old. I don't care about anything anymore except the widow. <laughs> and my taxidermy. <laughs> that so much widow. taxidermy. Great thing for him to have. It's very strange. <laughs> The look of the vampire makeup, uh, SFX, was done by Greg Canham, who had a busy run during this time with Vamp, The Lost Boys, and then Nightmare on Elm Street 3. The Dream Warriors. You didn't say the full name. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. I apologize. And then Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. (laughs) Yes, it's a good one. It's a fun one, yeah. It's primetime, bitch. He came in halfway through this movie because the original designs just really weren't working. And he said, quote, my initial reaction was that the Lost Boys was going to be a total disaster. Oh, no. (laughs) I could not believe that anybody would get halfway through making a movie about vampires and not have any set makeup design. On Vamp, I did more horrific monster-based makeups. For Lost Boys, I wanted subtle, realistic makeups. Joel's favorite word was streamlined. After the very first test, I went back and did very subtle makeup on Kiefer, and after Joel's approval, 
made it more angular and evil looking. And the other vampire makeups were downplayed to highlight their leader. I also made sure that the contact lenses stood out more than the facial makeup so that their eyes hit you. And they are so impactful when the eyes flare and all of a sudden they're red and yellow and you're like, holy shit, that's nasty. Yep, yep. It, it is it is incredibly terrifying. Like yeah. I think it does it better. I think it does the reveal of the eyes better than I've seen in, in so many other things since. Yeah, yeah. And it was definitely a challenging movie in general. I mean, there weren't even really any clumps of dialogue, like we said, where you could just knock out three pages real quick. They had to just shoot an eighth of a page and an eighth of a page and on and on, slow and steady. Um, Joel said, this has been the hardest job I've ever had in my life, but it has also been the most fun and rewarding at the same time. I think sometimes, now that we're finally finishing the movie, that if I had known at the start how hard this was going to be, I wouldn't have done it. It's like having your first baby. By the time you know how hard it is, it's too late. Between the special <laughs> effects, the flying, the kids, the motorcycles on the beach, the dogs, and the cave set, everything's been quite a challenge. It sounds like it. It's a lot of a lot of plates to juggle. And, you know, having so many child actors who have to go to school and everything the next day, you only have a little bit of time with them, and you have these intensive body language-driven driven scenes, it's easy to see how the 21-day shoot could get away from you. Yeah. My God. I didn't. I also I just did never realized how grueling this was. I hope he still, like, had it when it was done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he definitely loved it. He talked about how it opened up doors for him and everything and kind of saved his career at a time when he really needed it. And that he, he loved working with everybody and then they really made it something special. But the time crunch was definitely real. At one point, Canon literally flew to England to get some special contact lenses because they couldn't wait for the mail system. Oh, my God. <laughs> July 31st, 1987 release date. There was a lot of heat coming out. It had a preview in Fangoria 65 and the cover article in 66. And it worked. It was a commercial and a critical hit. $32 million against a production budget of $8.5 million. So there you go. That's awesome. Joel does it again. Yeah, great job, Joel. <laughs> great job, Joel. I, it was, I mean, I was young when this came out, but, like, I'm the youngest of four boys. I've told you this before, but, like, we grew, I grew up watching horror movies because my older brothers all wanted to watch them. Right. And we watched this very young, and I just remember it being, like, you would see Fangoria, because back in the day, you'd go to, like, the convenience store, and there was just rows and rows of magazines, and Fangoria would be up there, and I remember seeing, like, this there. Like, it was really something that you knew was cool and popular and just something brand new. And I think it also, mm-hmm. it really made me love practical effects, practical makeup effects. Because um, I do think they they make them just horrifying enough without going over the top. Yeah, I agree. So let's get into the movie. A great opening, flying across the water at night to the sounds of Cry Little Sister. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The only time we'll hear it. It was so funny. Somebody told me that Joel Schumacher commentaries are, quote, legendarily bad. And I'll say there were a lot of facts, but it wasn't particularly informative. Oh. But he seemed great. And I think that the whole thing is really kind of summed up. By uh, the first thing he says is just being like, that's the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) No shit, dude. (laughs) God, that clarifies so many plot points for me. 
Yeah, I really understand your thought process now that I know that that is the Pacific Ocean. Thank you, Joel. Okay, so so that's a maybe. Don't watch it with the commentary next. He really seems like a like a peach. You know, he's a sweetie, but uh, you know, maybe just watch a couple interviews about it instead. Noted. (laughs) We join David and his gang being punks on the Santa Carla boardwalk. They're tossed out by a security guard, but when things close down and the guard heads for his car. Something in the air swoops down to attack and rips the whole door off as he gets carried away. Fun intro, fun opening, really gets the spirit of it right away. You know, it's that nighttime energy. It's a lot of fun. It's a great opening. I mean, you realize, like, that they're ripping a door off of a car. These are some These are some strong-ass whatever they are. They're vampires. This was back when cars were steel, baby. <laughs> They ripped a thousand pound door off of that straight Detroit muscle. <laughs> the next day sees the arrival of the Emersons, Michael, Sam, and their mom Lucy, moving in with her father after her recent divorce. Really cool intro to the town. There is a classic entrance sign with a beautiful sunny image on the front, and then the back of it is covered in graffiti, including Murder Capital of the World. Mm-hmm. As a, as a People Are Strange cover starts up over a montage of the boardwalk, including, of course, many strange youths yep. and missing posters. Yep. yep. Really good stuff. Yeah, I, and it's 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 so amazing what he what what they do in that very brief montage. Like, I, I, it 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 sure. really establishes the world we're in. And I don't know if you noticed, but it was it was a lot of because this touches on like punk culture. To a certain extent, and it also, Mm. like, more than half of the people they show in that opening montage are people of color, which, again, I think think there's a deliberate point here about the people on the outside as, you know, Mm. People Are Strange is playing, like, obviously, but it's, Mm. it's an amazing, it's amazing how much of the world is created once we have that montage on top of knowing that it is the Pacific Ocean. I agree, and and it's cool because it's a lot of them are the real kids on the boardwalk, he said. like They're just people who were there, not people that he planted. I also really love, there's a, a moment that's very quick in this montage where Patrick says, any jobs around here? And the guy says, nothing legal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, it's it's, you know, you get that kind of, things are strained. Yeah. There's a very thin balancing act going. Well, on. and you also it also gives you insight immediately into Michael. And again, there's there's not a ton of like exposition in this movie. It kind of jumps right into the yeah. plot moving forward. But like you you don't fully understand it. But this is a mom and her two kids. There's no dad around, and the oldest one is looking for work because they have no money. And like he's yeah. a good enough kid that he's like I'll I'll work so that we can put food on the table. Yeah, or blood. <laughs> damn right but you create like a you 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 they establish in small ways the that these are morally good people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you also get grandpa who is a bit of a kook he plays dead to greet them he's growing pot he's doing taxidermy like we said and you better not touch his second shelf of the fridge <laughs> that's where he keeps his root beers and double thick oreos i love that the root beer comes back later and yes and yeah. the taxidermy bit where every time Corey Haim wakes up. There's a new taxidermy staring at him. This <laughs> is really good because they 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 so they funny. have a point where he he like he's trying to put one of them away and he opens a closet where he's clearly been hiding all of them. And there's like yeah. a dozen different tax 
accident recently. There's a lot of them. <laughs> it's really funny, and it's he's very startled by the taxi every single uh, time. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Really funny. Uh, also, I am uh, sort of realizing that Grandpa might be me in fifty years. Hell yeah, he seems great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That night, the boys go to a concert at the boardwalk in which we see Tim Capello doing his Tim Capello thing. Sweaty sax, baby. Sweaty sax. Michael's all worked up from this sweaty sax, man. And he notices a woman there, and he can't stop staring. He goes after her when she moves. And Sam goes to the comic shop instead of following him, where we meet the Frog Brothers. And it's a great intro to them with this. I'm looking for Batman 14. That's a very serious book, man. <laughs> Only five in existence. Four, actually. I'm always looking out for the other three. Oh, my God. Like, you get every single one of yep. them. You yep. get them. They keep they keep trying to make him read the, the horror comic about vampires. They get into an argument vampires about how to organize the DC <laughs> comics on the shelf. It's, it's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they say this copy of Vampires Everywhere could save his life. Despite Sam's uh, protesting that he does not like horror comics, well, friggin' loser, am I right? Yeah, seriously, <laughs> better better pay attention, kid. You're in a scary story. Yeah. School's in session, my friend. Yep, yep. Meanwhile, his mom helps a lost little boy to the delight of the video store on the pier. Uh, he's as impressed with her with her kindness as he is unimpressed with the Keith gang. Who takes a little lap around the store while the dog Thorn growls until he says, I told you not to come in here anymore. Look, not only is that actor Richie Rich's dad, but also they put him in the most 80s outfits possible at all times. He's got like the popped collar, the huge like cube patterns going on on his button down shirt, like just a masterpiece. Just you, you couldn't create a more eighties, eighties successful small business owner guy. <laughs> he talked about how he was so stoked to do this movie because he was like, "Get me out of the like three piece suits and historical roles. Like I want to do something fun." He fucking got it here, baby. He he really seems to have fun with it too. Yeah, I agree. And not to jump too far ahead, but this interaction becomes pretty interesting to look at once things unravel a little more, where he's like, stay out of here. You know, it's cool. It's cool. Good scene. She's understanding, though, and she asks for a job. She says, oh, we were young once. They're just young. It's me, Diane <laughs> I can't Weast. believe we got her for the episode. Diane, you are so good in this. <laughs> Hello. Hello, JP. Are we still friends? But she's so cute as a button. She just has, like, the best delivery of every line. She's just so sweet. Oh, John Lithgow, I think you should let the kids dance. Please, (laughs) Preacher John. Only beef with Footloose was that they had John Lithgow play a character named Preacher John Lithgow. Yeah, that was strange, but... (laughs) Odd choice. It works for me. You know, you grow up on it, you don't even realize that it's weird. You just don't even think about it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. We finally see the girl that Michael started following, and she hops on the back of David's motorcycle, who smirks at him and drives off. That night, a smooching couple have the roof of their car torn off, and they're ripped into the air themselves. There's only one explanation, and the Frog Bros come out with it when Sam goes to the comic shop again the next day. It's some dang old Draculas, man. It's some dang old Draculas, and I didn't even know what. I do know what, and I know that it's some dang old Draculas. (laughs) 
they don't they don't waste time with disbelief in this movie. Mm-hmm. Every character, when confronted with the idea that there are vampires, at least considers it mm-hmm. or just buys in right away. Except me, JP. <laughs> <laughs> She, but she she even did. She, she can so she takes it seriously after. Mm-hmm. She's like, I can't believe he seems so sincere. You're right. I apologize, Diane. <laughs> there's there's dang Dracula's up in the town. Uh, also, I'll say it. I think that Sam is too rude to the Frog Brothers. <laughs> they gave him two free comics, and he's a dick to them. He really is. He's the new kid in town. He's met some people with similar interests and a yeah. similar age, and he's just like, I'm too cool for you. Yeah, unbelievable, Sam. I need to. Beat the ass of the biggest guy in the comic shop. <laughs> he was asserting dominance. You're right. That is, yeah. that's, he was he was making sure they knew that he's the oldest frog brother now. <laughs> now Michael is mid makeover. He's buying a cool guy leather jacket. He's considering mm-hmm. an earring. Mm-hmm. When who should offer to pierce his ear for free? But the woman mm-hmm. he was ogling, Star. Star. Beautiful, beautiful Star. Dressed in hippie ass clothes, but yeah. somehow eighties. It's like if you combine Madonna with like uh, Goldie Hawn on laughing. Like it's 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 a good look. Yeah, he's like, oh, you too. And she's like, what? And he's like, your parents were hippies too. I was this close to being named. Bigglesworth or something. I don't remember what he says. I can't remember. Something. I think it might have been Bigglesworth. That's, yeah, it was Bigglesworth. I think so. <laughs> and they run into David, who insists that Star go with him and that Michael meet him for not a race necessarily, but a thrill ride competitive thing where he wants Michael to try and keep up. And you get this really fun scene as they speed across the beach. It has that great energy that captures what a lot of this movie is going for the appeal of eternal youth. Captured in both the boardwalk itself and the vampires that haunt it. Just a great, great moment for all involved. Yeah. And that, 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 uh, the appeal of eternal youth and more importantly, eternal wife, like, keeps mm. coming back. They just do, it's almost Patrick Swayze's Bodie in mm. Point Break. Like, it's like pushing things to the extreme with, like, with this full on belief that nothing bad will ever happen to them, which is sure. a very youthful thing. Um, and, and, they have a lot of moments like that, almost driving the bike off the cliff, nope. hanging off the uh, the railroad. We'll get to it. And that same homoeroticism. 100%. There you go. They take him to their hideout, which is a collapsed resort lobby from 1906. Very cool looking place. Great set design. Um, and, uh, you know, it just looks great. Very fun. I mean, it doesn't It doesn't look like they were really running into budget issues here, which I know that it was like they had to stretch it because Joel talked about like, oh, it was going to be more money. And then they were like, well, you can have the cast that you want of these nobodies, but we're going to slash your budget in return. So he had to had to stretch it. And I think that it, it doesn't show. It looks great on screen. I wouldn't want to see more. It really has that, like, glamorous, decrepit thing. It's a different mm-hmm. variation of, like, the the mansion, but the mansion is, aban- like, it's it's abandoned and, and there's spooky spiders in the, co- in the corners. Like, yeah. it, it definitely has that feel of both elegance and also, like, decay. Yeah, that is, like, the old version of vampires, basically. Yeah, yeah. What's the matter, Michael? You don't like rice? How could a billion Chinese people be wrong? Then the race turns into maggots. Oh my god, they glamour his ass. And the worms, (laughs) they're only noodles, Michael. (laughs) Why are the vampires eating Chinese food, though? He said, go get us some food. 
<laughs> and then yeah. Alex Winter comes back with Chinese food. Simple as that, baby. Oh, that's true, because there's more vampires eating human food later, too. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They do. They establish different related rules to vampires. Yeah. And 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 so, you know, I'm along for the ride. Sure, yeah, that's what vampires do. They eat rice and noodles. Yeah, they love them. <laughs> they say the lo mein, put it in the fridge. Just don't even worry about it. Let it soak up everything that it's sitting in. Have it the next day. It's even better. I still to this day do that because of David expressing that in the movie. Right. It was it was strange how he like looks into camera for it. He doesn't even say it to Michael. He stops talking to him, looks down the barrel of the camera, and just starts giving like cooking tips. But like for people his age. <laughs> I mean, it was it was the eighties, and that's how we made movies back then. And it was a I better guess time. So. Mm-hmm. I guess so. That's that uh, that willing to uh, experiment that doesn't that doesn't happen these days. Joel said, apparently maggots just lie there when you just have maggots, and so to get them moving, a little tip from the maggot wranglers: squeeze some lemon on them. I don't like any of this. <laughs> Still, good to know if I ever have if I'm ever wrangling my maggots, I will yeah. definitely get some lemon. That's if you want some lively maggots, basically. Otherwise they'll just lively. sit there. Yeah, they'll yeah. just lay there. <laughs> I also like that they like have a poster for Munster Go Home up. <laughs> like that's yep. such a weird choice. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then they but then they also have that Prominently featured several times, giant Jim Morrison poster. Yeah, that's right. They're really driving that comparison home. Mm-hmm. And Star sticks up for Michael, and Kiefer offers him a bottle of blood. Drink some of this, Michael. Be one of us. Yeah, you do a good gruff, Kiefer. I mean, Kiefer's always gruff anyway, but he's it's this one. You're doing a great job. He's very mm-hmm. gruff in this one. Thank you. That's actually him. I'm just playing the line. I saw Diane <laughs> left. I didn't know that Kiefer had come in. <laughs> She, uh, Star says not to drink it. She says it's blood. And he scoffs and he swigs yeah, it. She says, oh, just like, just like the rice was maggots and the noodles was worms. Noodles isn't worms. And this isn't blood. And they all chant, Michael, Michael, <laughs> Michael. It's time to party, baby. And of course, this is where you get some overlaid David and Star intermingled, which really adds to the idea of sexual confusion being a theme or interpretation that you can take away from this. Can and should. I I really, like, that was my biggest takeaway, having not seen it in so many years, is, like, it's not even subtle in this, like, what what is drawing Michael so much to this life? And a big part of it is that... The, the 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 real chemistry between uh, David and Michael. Yeah, he loves them both. Mm-hmm. He wants to he wants to bang both of them. Yeah, I got David and Star up in here. Yeah, come on, who says no? Would have been a mess. <laughs> Would have been a mess if he had joined them. <laughs> he follows them to the bridge where they all hang below while a train goes by, and one of my favorite moments here is that David like looks at him and says, "Fun, huh?" With zero trace of amusement in his voice. <laughs> One of my favorite line deliveries in the whole thing. Yeah, really made me laugh. And they start to drop, though, and David says, You're one of us. Let go. And when he finally does, he falls into the dense fog, and he falls and falls until suddenly he's falling into bed, a changed man after this experience with David. Impossible to read anything into it. It's so, it's so <laughs> 70s and 80s. The, the transition into the fog and then waking up in a bed. But also, mm-hmm. this is one of the scenes where they do, like, 
you talked about before when they were all like Dave or Michael, Michael. But in this scene, it's more taunting and howling and almost animalistic. It's it, it actually is scary. Like they drop into the fog and he can still hear them calling him. And it's just, yeah. it's really, really creepy. In yeah, a movie it rings in his head. And in a movie that like, look, this is not like your classic horror movie. It's very much also like I, I wouldn't even know what to call it, but it, it's just that it, it, these these things like that in the movie like really make it creepy. The 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 haunting voices in the dark, the mysteries of everything. Like there's a tension that builds. Definitely, I do think that the climax of the movie feels very much like like the la- like the third act of a horror movie, but. Um, everything leading up to that is, is to me, just, it doesn't follow the tropes. And I mean that in the best possible way. It was finding new ways to make us feel really creeped out. Yeah, absolutely. In the other room, Sam had been reading the comic that the Frog Brothers had gave him, and he was a little spooked. And Mom and Grandpa both came in to say goodnight. They're generally delightful. Uh, he gives Sam the stuffed gopher. He says, there's more where that came from. <laughs> Again, Grandpa's the best character. Yeah, he's great. There's also some interesting posters on the wall here as well. You get Molly Ringwald in Breakfast Club. You get Reform School Girls, which is a fun movie as well. (laughs) And you got John Stamos looking like an absolute hoe. He is really, not to slut shame, but he is slutting it up on that poster. I wasn't positive that it was him. I'm really glad for confirmation. Yeah, it was because they did St. Elmo's Fire together, him and Joel. And so he said, I'll uh, throw a little nod to, to old, uh, old Stamos there. That's amazing. Tearing his shirt up. Yeah. The next day, Michael is still in bed at 2 p.m. when mom calls to ask if he'll stay home with Sam that evening so she can go to dinner with Max, her new boss. No terrible power dynamic at play there. Yeah. It was, Flash it was, dance. It was the 80s. <laughs> not only were we not frowning on that, we were actually considering that a good way to meet a potential That's a spouse. meet cute, baby. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's given her attitude, not only a bit to mom, but also to Sam, who only wanted to make his brother a sandwich. He's got that that hungover in a sitcom thing where he's yeah. like, oh, it's too bright, you're too loud. Oh, man. Uh, he need make sunglasses. <laughs> oh, it's so bright. <laughs> oh, mom, I've been, up, I've been up this whole time, mom. Oh, man, he's really good at lying to his mom. It comes up a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. The gang arrives and causes a ruckus, but Michael is drawn by David's voice in his head, calling out. And then suddenly there's from? nothing there, just the wind but and the chimes. But who is Ooh. Where did it come from, indeed? <laughs> Sorry, that, that's an who old one, folks. Indeed? It's still a banger, but, you know, go check the internet, like, 2008 or so. Who was phone? You're going to love it. Michael sends Sam to take a bath, which he does with great zeal. He's singing. He's doing a mohawk. All the classics are in play here. But when Michael goes to slug back some milk, he's struck with extreme stomach pains. And slowly he creeps through the shadows to the bathroom, afflicted with bloodlust. And this is, I will admit, this is the one moment where it's like, if you're looking at this through the idea that uh, being a vampire is being queer, that it becomes kind of a weird, I guess, like... I don't even right. know because like there was there's a, a classic wrong stereotype that gay people are pedophiles and for him to be like oh I'm going to now feel this bloodlust and go to attack my brother just looking at it through that lens makes it weird but I'm also like you just don't have to interpret every single thing 
through through the lens, you know? It can just have affected the making of the movie sort of thing. I mean, completely agree with you. And I think that also it's deliberately there to make it uncomfortable without saying, without spelling it out or even really more than just mm-hmm. giving hints of it. There is something really uncomfortable about that's your brother, that's a child, and, you know, that's there's something mm. wrong with what you're doing. And I think that it crosses a taboo line as this at the same time mm. as it's crossing, like, a, a survival, like, a horror line of, like, oh, no, I don't want that kid to die, but also I don't want that brother to do this to his brother, sure. right, to this little his little kid brother. Which I don't know that I ever appreciated that before, and right. now I think it's it's kind of masterfully done because it's also there isn't a lot of killing in this movie. There's there's two scenes of of kind of, of multiple deaths, but on the mm. whole, a lot of it is just the threat of it or the fear of it, and I think that that speaks to that inherent queerness of what they're going for here. And also, I just realized there's a movie in the mm. from the '80s called The Hunger that dealt with the, it was vampires, but it was also talking about like queer uh, individuals and queer culture. So the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of deliberate nature to all of this. But anyway, to your point, yeah, it's, it's really uncomfortable that he's, he's thinking about feeding on his brother. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it totally takes over him, but the dog Nanook defends little Sammy there. And Michael confesses as much in the aftermath when Sam notices Michael's reflection is translucent because he's a creature of the night. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Just wait till mom finds out. That line. That's the line. That's the line. It's so good. It, this is this is maybe my favorite Corey Haim movie. And there's a couple of scenes where I'm like, oh, yeah, he, he was never the best actor. But then there's other scenes where, like that where I'm like, this is why we loved him. This is why we loved him. He was so good in this. <laughs> wait till mom finds out is so good. Yeah. yeah. And it really does kind of encapsulate the movie because it is my, my brother is a vampire. And then the comedy beat of wait till mom finds out is that kind of sneaky humor that is throughout the whole movie that's the thing and i I think that this was an era when we were doing that with our horror movies like like dream warriors is a great example that movie is so stupidly over the top the plot is nonsense it's great it's one of my favorite nightmare on elm streets i think that embracing the humor that's inherent in these kinds of movies this movie does it really well because as you said like the frog brothers are never they're never painted as comical they're never buffoons they're never slapsticky but there's a comedy to to their existence in this world uh the comedy of of these children who think they know anything and think that they're so they're gonna survive this because they read a couple comic books and then like but also simultaneously Hmm. we're in a goonies we're in a we're in a peter pan like yes that is also true they are going to do that like the 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 lighthearted parts yeah. are in, in, intrinsic to the to the balance here, and it makes for such a fun movie. I, I do I, I laughed multiple times, but yes, that that's that it is that is that like what is he, you said it? it he calls him a, a shit sucking vampire. <laughs> shit sucking vampire, unbelievable. <laughs> My own brother. Oh, it's so good. I I also think it's interesting that there just weren't really that many like horror comedies. They just didn't exist in 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 the fashion that you know them now you know they were more like this 
And Joel talked about how he had a really tough time with Warner Brothers because they, like, didn't get it. They were like, a horror and comedy can't go together. That's not possible. And so he was like, no, you have to just trust me that this is going to be. And I think that's why I I (laughs) said you see a lot of, like, Donner's fingerprints on this because that's what made the Lethal Weapon movies, especially as they went on, better and better was the combination of comedy that didn't take away from the action so it was still a great action movie, but like you mm-hmm. had to have that good comedy in there, and it, this is a great example of that. You're absolutely right. Like we didn't have horror comedies at the time, but this is a this is a horror movie that's just chock full of comedy. I mean, the horror comedies just didn't look the same. I mean, you mentioned Monster Squad, that's in there too, but it's just like a different kind of comedy where it's it's not it's not like Scream, yeah. where it's like jokes. Yeah. You know, no, and, and, and if we talk about Scream too. Like I think Scream did kind of open that door so that you could be full blast with both. But there's really funny parts to yeah. a lot of the early horror, or especially in like this era. Sure. Even um, Arsenic and Black Lace. I mean, I would consider that a horror movie, and uh, and it's very funny. So there you go. Back That's in a the really 60s. good point, nerd. <laughs> no, shut up. Sam calls the Frog Brothers. So funny when they're like, he's a vampire, all right, when the questions are all normal teenager things like (laughs) sleeping all day. (laughs) Go stab him with a steak. (laughs) He's like, I can't bring myself to do that. That's my brother. His brother who is floating in his room, causing a dang scene. He goes out the dang window uh, with the phone call interrupting their mom's call to Sam. And she said, he says, don't listen to him, Mom. He doesn't know what he's talking about through yes. the most gritted teeth on Earth. <laughs> I, I love that scene, though. He's lying to his mom while yeah. floating in the air. Don't listen to him, Mom. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> he really is. Oh, God. But he's also, it's also, in a weird way, it's an homage to the um, Salem's Lot. I don't know if you ever saw the Salem's Lot movie from the 70s, but there's a horrifying scene where the brother is flying outside of his little brother's window and is begging for him to let him in. I'll be a brother, Sammy. It's so good. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I just, but you also know, like, I think that's, that's a big part of this too, is you know that like Michael's not going to hurt Sam. Like, you know, deep down inside that he's not going to. Yeah. And they, they agree to help him out. He says, we got to stick together, bro. Don't tell her anything. I'm going to work this out. Okay, Sam, I'll figure it out on my own. <laughs> that always works. Well, he figures something out on his own. He sneaks out as Mom rushes home and storms in, and Sam covers for Michael, saying that he got a little carried away by the comic book. But as she cleans up after them in a huff, we see that the little kid who'd been going around with David's gang is on a missing poster on the side of the milk carton. I had very vivid flashbacks from this to reading those face-on-the-milk-carton books. I don't know if you ever, ever caught those, but... All of a sudden, it all came rushing back. I think I read, like, four of those books. It was a weird thing, and then I'm sure you know this, but it was also revealed that it never did any good anyway. Mm. Like, the whole campaign, as much as it put out awareness, it just, like, there's no trackable that this ever helped to find anybody, ever. Loopy. He never got his parents back. (laughs) It was really a shame. Why, why is for, his name Laddie? Why is his name Laddie? It doesn't make any I think sense. It's, I think it's Limbrick. I, I do. Oh, is, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah, Star and Limbrick. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> also, what is their relationship? Why is Laddie there? They 
took him and made him a vampire, and she said, this boy is too young. He cannot be a vampire. He cannot kill. That was good of Star. She really she really saved Laddie. It almost didn't go great for Laddie. Yeah, dude. When when Limblo, when he comes out there at the end, and they come after him, watch out, well, bro. Look, I you know that I like good horror. I like fun horror. I like creative horror. I I I, I really like. I consider it to be one of the best genres and art forms mm-hmm. for storytelling, for especially for you know morality tales, um, uh, parables. I I love it. I will admit that I love the show Supernatural, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. In, in one of the early seasons, there's an episode where guy's going to turn into a meat-eating monster of some t- sort, a flesh-eating monster of some sort. If he can just not eat flesh, if he can mm. keep doing that, he won't. And then the whole episode hinges on like him not eating flesh, and eventually he does, and it's really tragic. It's an awful, uh. upsetting episode. And I just was having those flashbacks here. This is obviously an earlier iteration of that, but it's like that fear that like if any of them feeds, they're done yeah. forever. It creates... It creates like a, 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 a it creates stakes and it also creates a potential for a happy ending because they're mm-hmm. only half vampires. Sure, and he's not only does it like oh rot to your soul or whatever, but if Limbro die like if he feeds and he's a vampire now, then he's stuck at that age. He's not even a teenager. He is eight years old for the rest of his life now, which is eternally long. <laughs> Kirsten Dunst in an uh, interview. Classic. The classic mm-hmm. K Dunst and Rice character here. K Dizzle doing mm. the all day living like a seven year old. It's a classic. It's a classic, folks. <laughs> we're always talking about this. All right. So, but we were going to get back because Michael was going to take care of it. He was going to take care of it. And That's um, right. he left. His brother covered for him. And then he took care of it, right? He took care of it. And we all lived happily ever after. And did, how about that? He took care of some business. Mm, That's right. Just kidding, because the gang is busy harassing Max, who is rushing home when Michael, or at least so we think, so we think, uh, (laughs) when Michael goes to the hideout to talk with Star, and instead they smooch in soft transitions and flowing bread drapes. There's a lot of, like, shoulder caresses and slipping something off of a shoulder and then fade to... They're they're in bed together. They Mm must have had a nice nap or something. I don't know. Yeah, and that camera soars through the airs, and you go, cry, little sister, there shall It's so good, because that's the first time, we, it's not just the children choir singing, it's, it's you, get the, you get the actual uh, vocals for the song. It's a banger of a song. It's really fun. I think it's I think it's up there with um for me there's 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 only a few movie songs that like really stick with me and I listen I, I I'm gonna be listening to that this song this week, um but the other one is um send me an angel which is from the uh, BMX movie Rad I don't sure. know if you've ever seen it but uh, of course Laurie Laughlin uh, bike dancing at prom oh, uh, yeah, to baby. send me an angel it's the most romantic <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life yeah that's a good one strong as I am from Manhunter. That's in there. Ah, uh, you got me. Wow, I haven't. I haven't. You've Jeez. and you've said it to me so many times, dude. You I must watch, see Manhunter every time you tell me a movie. I write it down. I have tried to watch every single one of them. I still haven't seen Manhunter. Well, put that on the top of your dang list, bro. Okay, this is just so we're clear, though. This is not a Reeves list. I actually watch these. Yeah. I, oh, I know. Oh, I know. That's why I am so insistent that <laughs> Manhunter go on it. <laughs> Listeners, you need to know that, like, 
I will drunkenly at one o'clock in the morning send a message to George and be like, oh my God, have you seen this movie? Or, oh dude, you were so right about this movie. So he, he's probably pretty sick of it by now. But to me, it's a fun way to really, to grow my friendship with my friend here and yeah. to also watch some great ass movies and also recommend some dumbass ones. And I'm always asleep at 1 a.m., so I answer the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, too. <laughs> he also realizes that it might not be all bad, as his hand is healed already. So there you go. The appeal of vampirism. He heads home the next morning, and Mom is worried, but parents just don't understand. They really don't. And neither do grandparents or brothers. No. no. <laughs> A whole lot of them. Come on. Who could possibly understand? Only vampires. You don't know what it's like to be be a closeted vampire in the 80s? So true. So true. Mom is attacked by Max's dog. Hellhound, if you believe the comics. Thorn. Thorn. Great name. It's not a nice name for a dog. The Cult of Thorn from Halloween. How about that? How about that? Mm, Hide in. <laughs> Sam goes to talk with the Frog Brothers, and he says his brother is only half a vampire, but maybe Max is the head vamp, so come to dinner and get him instead of killing Michael. And these two are actually meeting as ships in the night. Michael is on his way out the door, and Max is on his way to dinner with the mom. Michael is not impressed, but uh, yeah, we get this great trickery here. Where he says, uh, where Max says, you're the man of the house and I'm not coming in until I'm invited, just like a vampire would. Except, really, just kind of like, they do throw it in there. On subsequent viewings, it's so transparent, but on that first Mm. viewing, he's like... Transparent like a vampire in a mirror. Oh, in a mirror, oh, goddammit. Now, this is is what I was talking about earlier, where they buck the convention, they come up with some new rules about vampires. Yeah. it was, it, it, at least my understanding to earlier iterations of vampires, they couldn't come in unless you invited them. Mm-hmm. But here, inviting them in cancels their weaknesses. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting. It, it, it's, it's, it's a, it becomes a plot point very quickly. Yeah, I like that. And they sit down to dinner. There's some great gags. They all test Max with raw garlic and holy water. <laughs> so funny when he's like, guys, he likes garlic. No, they're also, they're, the mom's right there, and they're like yeah. loud whispering across yeah. the table to each other. Can you believe it? He likes garlic. <laughs> JP, I love garlic. Me too, Diane. Hey, I loved you in Footloose, and I think Parenthood. Thank you. I loved being in those things. <laughs> okay, bye, Diane. See you later, Diane. It was really great seeing you. Okay, bye. Tell Sam I love him. Ha ha. Because it's like cheers and also my son. Do you get it? Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye, Diane. Here's what I think. I think Sam should have just mixed the garlic with the cheese. And it would have been a lot less noticeable. Uh, It was very clearly grated garlic. Yeah, that's a rookie mistake. That's a rookie mistake. Mom is so proud of him. Like He grated grated the the cheese cheese himself. (laughs) Come on, Diane. You're better than that. At least make him peel some potatoes. But this guy passes all the tests. He leaves after assuming Sam was mad about him intruding on the family. And Michael and David butt heads. And he resists joining their full-on vamp attack on some drunk bonfire dudes dancing to the Run DMC Walk This Way. Though he knows who he is now. Those guys were having the best time. And the actors definitely actually, because you know they're not recording, they're not playing the song while they're recording it. We've talked about this in Psych. It always bothers me that like, 
they're doing a rendition of it, but it's never the same tone and it's never mm-hmm. to the right beat because they're just right. making it up. Sure. But the, the actors doing this are singing it the correct way <laughs> so that yeah. they get the pitch right and everything. And I was really impressed with that. They killed so it. So I was they glad that they lived forever. Oh. They, they killed it kill and then it. got killed. <laughs> yeah. That scene is also, I talked about, I love the lighting and the dark effects and the reveal of the the eyes while they're all stalking them from the tree. Yep. And then one of my favorite kills of all time occurs where one of the guys is is completely bald and they, they just do a shot that's like his bald head and a vampire is like the, the teeth go into the top of the skull and pull back and there's a blood spray and yeah. it's just it's that's so great. good it's so good there's not that much gore in this to be honest no there's not but that's a fun moment it stands out and guess what Kiefer suggested it did he really yeah big ups to Keef. man that's awesome big Keef. that was big I love that scene Keith I love Daddy. that scene yeah, so they they murder all those. And those guys, by the way, I don't know if you saw listed in the credits, they're all referred to as surf Nazis. Yep. It's a classic surf Nazi. Mm-hmm. They must die. And this is when we get the funny moment from, um, you know, Michael comes in and Sam is scared by a newly taxidermied owl. He says, I wish Grandpa would stop giving me these. He puts it in the closet. And Star comes to talk with Michael. And she says, you're not a full vampire until you make your first kill. And he was supposed to be hers. But she cares so much about him. I will say, there's there's a version of this that you can be critical of. I actually <laughs> think that in the, the version of expediting the story and sure. getting us to where we needed to be, you have to... I mean, look, we're already believing in vampires. You have to also believe in love at first sight. That's that's what they present this as, is that sure. when he's staring at her in that first scene, she stares back. They're, they're in love. They're immediately in love. It's also just already been so melodramatic that to, like... <laughs> To be like, oh, now this is the thing that I'm bucking against here. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. <laughs> 60 minutes in, they finally lost me. Yeah, yeah. But it is like they fast track that storyline. And I think they benefit from just like it, you're you're well enough into movies and history of movies and histories of movies as storytelling that like. We, yeah, we can accept that with a couple of beats. We get what you're going for. Like, that's not the sure. main thrust of this. This is They not already had thing. their soft transitions and flowing bed drapes. We saw it. Caresses on shoulders and slipping right. off of, of, of slips. Right. He drives her away, and Sammy calls the Frog Brothers back for the next day. Grandpa is out working the fields when they all steal his classic car, which is funny. And Michael takes them to the hideout where the Frog Brothers and Sammy find the vampires hanging from the ceiling, and they stake Alex Winter, who erupts in brown goo, which is funny. They said it was like a molassesy kind of thing. It, it, you, it's not blood, and it's not necessarily supposed to be blood. It, it, yeah. it looks like cherry cola or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's it gross. I will say, though, with, with Grandpa... It's liquid poop. Uh, it is just liquid poop. They're filled with, with Grandpa, liquid poop. <laughs> with that scene with Grandpa, though, he... Look... It's comical, but also, like, you know why they did it. They had to introduce uh, uh, the, the, the gun on the mantle. And mm-hmm. Grandpa, when he's building his... He's out digging post holes, except he doesn't have a post that matches the fence at all. It's basically half of a telephone pole that the top has been turned into a stake. And that's not even the part that he's putting into the ground. Mm. That's the part that's pointing up up top. Yeah. Um, but it's the first time we see these ginormous stakes... Coincidence, sure. right? Coincidence, gotta be. It's not It's not Chekhov's post stakes. No, definitely not. They blow plan A because the vampires wake up and chase them out. 
although the sunlight prevents any real retaliation. So they're like, okay, we have two and a half hours to come up with plan B, because that's when the sun goes down and they'll be looking for us. So nothing like a ticking clock. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. It's it, But it is also, it's the... It's um, fantastic, if you ask me. Damn... Oh man, I, it's um, it's I can't remember the name of it now. It's the precinct, the, the movie where they're like they're in the precinct and all the criminals are coming to attack. Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Uh, yes, Assault on Pre- Yes, that's the setup. That's the setup for the final act of the movie, and it's yeah. fantastic. Like, okay, we're gonna home alone our house and prepare for us to get attacked here. I mean, it's like a classic western, you know. I mean, even even going. Oh further yeah, back. yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. They're gonna make their last stand here. Yeah. Exactly. Sam tells mom, but she doesn't want to hear it. So they go grab some holy water from the middle of a baptism, which is very funny. Very funny scene. Very funny scene. Also, they fill up two little uh, canteens full of holy water. Yeah. But that's enough to fill a bathtub. <laughs> well, they dilute it in the bathtub. <laughs> uh-uh, uh-uh, no way. It's just, <laughs> these are magical canteens of infinite holy water holders. Oh, okay. I missed that part. That was one of the deleted scenes I forgot where they explained that. Also, I probably like one of the vestiges of it being about like Boy Scouts, to be honest, just like having those canteens. Yes. And then they also have the largest bag of garlic anyone has ever purchased in their life. Right. He's got like a thousand bulbs of garlic and he's just smashing them with a mallet. Gotta. You gotta do that. They get grandpa out of the house before they fortify it as well. Great little montage. And it ends with some great end of day landscapes. And the attack is on. They come in through the chimney. And and all over the place. One immediately gets the Frog Brothers cornered. Luckily, the holy garlic water that they have up in the tub burns his face when they splash it, which gives Nanook the dog time to jump up and push him all the way in and kill him. Very fun, grody death. Blood exploding out of the pipes. Vampire skeleton. The works. It, it, it escalates so much. And it starts with... Nanook, the actor, whatever the actor dog's name was, someone literally threw the dog at the vampire. You can tell, like, that dog is not jumping. It's being... It's <laughs> no, being, uh, they said it's they said they got a dog who knew how to leap. Oh, uh, I don't know. I was he sitting says, there thinking, this reminds me of uh, that Hulk Hogan, Mr. <laughs> Nanny film with the famous shot of a guy in the background throwing a yeah. dog into the ocean. Wow. Well, Joel claims that there were two brother dogs and one was nice Nanook, and one knew how to snarl and jump. And that's that was awesome. That's evil, Nanook. That's awesome. <laughs> so the guy the guy gets splashed in the face. That starts burning. Then Nanook knocks him in the tub. Then he comes out of the tub, and he's got some burning on his face. Then he goes under the water again. And yeah. then a skull emerges from the ah, water. Ah, <laughs> it's it's so great. Good. It's, it's great. It's so good. The special so, effects guy said, we did a cast of Brooke screaming, and we had a huge special aluminum mold made, and then I got a hundred cheap styrofoam heads prepared, <laughs> and we made a special skull out of an epoxy so that the corrosive acetone in the bathtub wouldn't melt it away, and we just dunked it, dunked him, cut, <laughs> bring that back up. Simple, works, looks great. It was beautiful. beautiful. Vampire skeleton. It's it's still to my mind one of my favorite deaths in a horror movie of all time. I, I, that one has always resonated with me. That's it's a really good one. And you know, on uh, the best little horror house in Philly Patreon, plug plug, we do the legal thriller episodes of which you yourself have been a contestant. And one of the questions I asked most recently on the most recent one was, "What is the best use of a skeleton in a movie?" Oh, wow. Very fun question, and we got some very fun answers. But 
one that did not come up that perhaps it should have is this because this is wow. a really fucking what? good use of a skeleton. I got I what you consider this a teaser for for people to come and uh, join the Patreon. But sure, what sure. can you throw me one or two that were 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 up there? Sure. So one of them was in House on Haunted Hill. Of course, you get Vincent Price puppeteering a skeleton to enact his plan at the very end, which is very fun. One of the other ones was Home Alone 2, when Marv gets electrocuted and he turns into a skeleton. Also very fun. And I am forgetting what the third one was. I've got a good one for you, which is Clash of the Titans with the mm. stop motion. Not, oh, not the, the real one. The, the original one with the, the stop motion you skeleton I mean. warriors. Yeah. 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 That's a really great one, too. Boy, this this question could very easily come back. I'll, another one that didn't come up was House with the dancing skeleton. So, you know, this this question could very easily come back. So keep an That's eye out. really good. There's a lot of good, fun skeleton Skeletons content Skeletons are great. Why don't we see more skeleton-focused horror movies? This is what I'm always asking, JP. I am always asking this, and I hear you out there. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Well, Make a skeleton horror movie. Make a skeleton horror comedy. Make a skeleton horror romance. Wow. Okay. I'm in love and with the skeleton bo- trying the to end. get outside of me. Wow. Wow. There's a lot All of boning right. in that movie. Okay. <laughs> I think only I'm allowed to make those kind of jokes on here. Got that. Got that. <laughs> so, yeah, they uh, another vampire uses Michael as a trap to get Sammy, but he manages to stake him with some arrows uh, where he stumbles back into death by stereo yep. where he explodes. It's one of the most 80s things you'll ever see. Whoa. And again, this gets to, yeah, like, like, <laughs> his, there's some, like, his love of rock music is really, that's his hubris. Like, yeah. that's what gets him. You gotta, you gotta have one or two of those one-liners in there. Sure. And of course, you're gonna give it to Hayne. Like, that, that's the, that's the actor that needs he to be He earned it. That. He earned it. David is in the mix now. He's flying around and punching Michael while Laddie turns on the reunited youths. I said that weird. Well, Laddie turns on the reunited youths. <laughs> Utes. Utes. Utes, of course, yes. He is. Uh, he, he also makes an appearance in My Cousin Vinny, of course. Mm-hmm. But then Star gets between them. She says, no, don't, don't kill Limbro. <laughs> Please, my beautiful boy. Poor Lambic is sitting there, like, wilding out, too. <laughs> no, he, he's, he's a scary little guy. He really... He, he, I don't want he pops out of that bed in a fun way. Yeah. That's a good moment. Oh my god, he was a whacking, wavy, wacky, waving arms, inflatable guy. He, he, sure. he, they did, you know, technology that we haven't seen since Johnny Depp fell into a bed in Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street, mm-hmm. in which they are just shooting things up out of the bed. Now I understand yeah. they did that one inverted; it was actually coming down from the bed, but still, the effect is the same. It's um, no, there's like a wind blowing, and they have like streamers coming out of the yeah. bed. It's wild. Yeah, there's shit all over the place. And uh, the vampire fight between Mike and David is fun. He refuses to join them, and he judo tosses David onto some deer antlers, and he dies to the tune of "Cry, little sister," but yep. even more oh. stripped down than usual. <laughs> it's 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 beautiful. It's brilliantly done. It's they mournful. also do, and and let me bring it back to the lighting effect. He always, when he's a vampire, he always has a bright spotlight shining on him, no matter mm-hmm. where he is. And in that moment, when he's laying there dying, the bright light's shining down, and then it fades out. Wow. No, he did. And, and he we did. all cry, little sister. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, and poor Michael, he didn't, he, thou shall not kill. 
Oh, so Ugh. true. So true. Ugh. Ugh. I uh, I really like this. I also, I will say that I accidentally did a stuffed deer impalement double feature that night because I also watched Silent Night, Deadly Night, in which um, I think it's Linnea Quigley gets, gets impaled on, on, a, on a stuffed deer. I think it is Linnea Quigley. <laughs> oh my god! That's her. Good. That is a good reference, man. I love that movie. I really, uh, I like, I like that first one a lot. I know everybody likes two, but I, I don't even know if I've seen two. So fuck two. Two. Look, it has the new stuff is very good, but the problem is they they compress one into like thirty minutes, and they just put that into two, and. Not only am I like, just fucking make, if you're making the movie, just make the whole fucking movie. Yeah. But on top of that, everybody is like, oh, I've seen one. I don't need to go watch it because I, it's at the beginning of two. And one is such a great build. Yeah. And it is such just like a pure exploitation movie that, and also, frankly, it has a lot more of the interesting, like, mean spirit to it than two does. And so... I just think that one is a lot better than two, and it's very frustrating for me that um, everyone I, says let just me, go to let two. Let me ask you this. What's your stance on Evil Dead 1 versus Evil Dead 2? Wow, I'm so glad you asked me this. This is what I was actually fishing for the whole time. I, I really love Evil Dead 2. I love it a lot. But I think I come down on the side of Evil Dead 1 because it is a genuine horror movie. Like, the... The pencil in the uh, in the ankle is like one of the grotiest I've ever <laughs> seen. The tree assault is is horrific. It's truly disgusting. Yep. And yep. I know you know we as a culture are correctly moving past that as a story device. But it is intense in the moment there, and and it works very well. And uh, you can't change what has already been committed to film. So I don't think that it's right to knock it for for delivering on the atmosphere that it's that it's trying to get to they're demons you know they do bad shit <laughs> so 100 it's in and i i fully agree with you and i think that a lot of people will say like i mean two is almost a remake of one so like why why do i need to why do i need to see right. two? and again they're saying, incorrect or why do i need to see one 100 yeah. <laughs> yeah so people out there watch silent night deadly night one watch evil dead watch one. the first one yeah. Always watch the first one. That's why you have everything yeah, else. Exactly. Show some respect. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the problem is now, to keep, not to swivel all the way back to the movie here after we got way swivel off. Swivel it up, baby. Swivel it up. Everybody's still vampires. They're like, oh shit, I'm still a vampire. <laughs> Even though we just killed David. <laughs> That's bad. And they all realize. <laughs> they do kind of, they do just kind of like, like, hold on. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, I'm still a vampire. Don't look man. at me, I'm still a vampire. I did, I do like that scene though. Like, I do like when he's like, "Don't let my brother see yeah. me." Like, it's there's there's some good heart to the familial relationships in yeah. this. The the growing family uh, as the vampire. I'm look. It, I'm not. I'm not coming up with anything new here. They literally say it by the end of the movie that it's like about the two families. Yeah. But so true. So true. Max and mom arrive, and mom is like, oh, what the hell? But Max goes right over to David and is like, wow, sorry, Lucy. David and my boys misbehaved. And you're like, my boys? What? 
Did not see that coming. It turns out that he wanted to get Lucy as the vampire queen. And he planned to get Michael and Sam into the family first so that she wouldn't say no, couldn't say no. Truly devilish of Max here. Yeah, but he didn't even think about Grandpa and the importance of getting Grandpa in, So true, JP. Now, Max fights the whole damn crew, which is pretty cool. And he gets Sam hostage, which convinces Lucy to give up. And it looks like the end. Until Grandpa crashes through the side of the house with the tractor carrying a whole bunch of giant stakes that fly out and catch Max, pushing him into the fireplace where he ignites and explodes. Explodes! I don't know how the house survived. Everybody's covered in soot, like so many Dickensian orphans. Yeah. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, please, sir, I want some more. Explosions. <laughs> Originally, after he got staked, there was going to be this huge transformation effect where there were like three different makeups and he progresses to 300 years old and he falls back into the fireplace and gets all gooey and bloody and then ignites and explodes. That was cut for time, which is a shame since um, I never feel like this isn't going pretty quick. Like, I'm, I'm never like, hurry it up. So if they just wanted yeah. to slip in a little, uh, little goo in there, I wouldn't be mad about it. Yeah, aside from the cherry coke draining out of Alex Winter, you don't have a lot of gore in this movie. Oh, we did. I skipped over it, but it, the the guy the he, toilets exploding. Yeah, when he goes in the pipes and explodes all the pipes, <laughs> there's a lot of blood there. But that's the one moment, and it is very shocking. <laughs> it's also very funny how much blood the toilet shatters from blood erupting from yeah, it. Great. Like it's ridiculous. All of a sudden, it becomes like a very, very old house with pipes everywhere, <laughs> just shattering. Yep. yep. Turns out, Grandpa knew Santa Clara was lousy with vampires all along, and the half vampires are all cured. Boom! Credits, baby. We outie. They waste no time on resolution or an ending. No. Grandpa goes, he pulls his root beer mm. out of his second shelf, and he just complains about the goddamn vampires. Roll credits. Roll it's credits. fantastic. They don't they didn't do anything. And I loved it. It was a perfect ending. It's a funny point to end mm. on, too. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. There is also a fun theory that Grandpa was a half vampire as well, and that his root beer is an animal is animal blood. And he used that to stop the hunger and or the Widow Johnson could be a euphemism for going to hunt animals for their blood to keep him uh, from killing humans and or willing blood bank. The Widow Johnson. It's all kinds of fun things that uh, make it an interesting idea, even if it doesn't necessarily hold up to the greatest scrutiny. But it doesn't take away from the plot of the movie for that to be true. So I'm kind of fine with that it. works it works that also would explain if he's drinking animal blood that explains all the taxes exactly yeah he's he's going out there he's hunting that and that's why he doesn't want anyone to touch his root beers because it's animal blood i gotta i gotta i gotta really ruminate on that that's that, I, like that ru- I, I don't oh look at you do uh-huh. second shelf uh-huh. second shelf baby and now jp we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up mm-hmm. why this isn't just a good horror movie but is in fact the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. I really appreciate that. I'm glad that you appreciate it. I want to start by welcoming you again. And I hope, you, I hope you've enjoyed this time here. I feel so well. I have a long history with horror movies. I have a long personal history with this specific horror movie. And I'm always afraid that nostalgia gets in the way of like being a valid, like be, being an actual critic of something. 
And I was really afraid of that coming in to watch it at this time and just how much my, my, my fond memories of this or the things that stood out and became th- like lines that my brothers and I would say to each other. Like, I didn't want that to taint the experience. I watched this and felt like not only was everything I always loved there, but there was so much more to this movie. Mm-hmm. There's so much more. And I think because I'm older, because I have a different appreciation of human relationships, because I have a different appreciation of storytelling soundtrack, scoring, movie making in general. I think this movie is amazing because it really walks a line between being a popcorn movie and being an artistic movie. And I'm not saying we're not talking like over the top postmodern BS, but it's beautiful to look at and it's complicated in its characterizations both in terms of their dialogue but also in terms of their appearances their their the way they present i think this movie had a lot of progressive things to say and that makes it really important but that doesn't make it the best what makes it the best is that it is so much fun and it's also the type of horror movie that you could get a more mainstream audience to watch. And I think that that's really huge because a movie like this expands the genre. It gets more money funded. It gets more people interested in watching horror. And so all of those things combined, the nostalgia, the artistic aspects of it, the fun of it, and I think the importance in the broader pop culture of this movie existing make this the best horror movie of all time. I totally agree. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it is kind of a really interesting oxymoron to me in that it is very mature, has a lot going on, but it's also incredibly youthful. It has that exuberance. It has that joie de vivre or joie de unvive, I guess, for these vampires. Wow. Wow. Felt good about that one as it was coming out. I like that yeah. one a lot. Yeah, no. I think that it's it's good. I I, I really do. I, I think that it it balances that so incredibly well. And I think that that's kind of representative of Joel Schumacher in general is being able to ride that balance of popcorn and artistic, of youthful and mature. He does it a lot. There's a lot of really fun stuff, and having the cast here to support that vision is so huge. I mean, this cast is really out of this world. Everybody is bringing their A-game. There are so many stars here, and they weren't really stars yet, any of them. I mean, like, they they had been in a few things here and there. Probably Corey Feldman was, like, the one with the longest resume at this point. So, you know, it's not like anybody was... Um, I mean, they cut his budget because he wanted this cast. So the fact that they all believed in each other and the project enough to really throw it together and take it seriously. I mean, even Jason Patrick being like having to be so convinced to do it because he was like, oh, you are taking it seriously. It all just works. It all just comes together in such a great way, such a dynamic way. I think that the movie flies by. It it, it just goes so quick. And there are moments where I'm like, I wish almost that it would slow down a little bit. I wish we got more. You know, I wish that we got to spend more time in this world. And creating a world where you want to spend time. That's got to be the best horror movie ever made. Bingo, bango, bongo. That was really well said. I I fully, I really agree. There we go. We did it. Best horror movie ever made. JP. Best horror movie ever made. Oh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This was super fun. And let me just welcome you to the show one time. One time. I feel really welcome. I'm glad. 
And why don't you tell the folks all the other things that you want them to hear you doing and talking about and and, and tweeting <laughs> and all that stuff. George, I, number one, thank you so much for having me on. It is the best. I love talking horror movies with you outside of this, but it's so much fun. You do you put so much into these episodes, and I just it's an honor to just be like that. You share the space with me. This is great. The pleasure is mine, friend. And thank you for watching. One of my favorites. Mm-hmm. You know, if people wanna wanna follow me or catch up with me, the easiest thing you can find me on Twitter, but it's at jp underscore pumpkinity. Good luck. So you know. Good luck. But as always, please, please check me out. Uh, I got a podcast called We Heard About Pluto, Mm. where we are rewatching Psych, the television show. And we're just kind of really deconstructing. Is it the great episode or the best episode? Mm -hmm. Pretty much every single time. That sounds right. (laughs) That sounds right. I've definitely never been a big stick in the mud ever in that in that show. George, you were the one that coined the phrase, we're talking about psych, so I'm just talking on a scale of, like, even a bad psych episode is like, I still really liked it. Absolutely. And you gotta use the whole scale, folks. You gotta use the whole scale. You you gotta use the whole... You've gotten us better using the whole scale. (laughs) But everyone should check it out. You can also get into the competition with us to see if you can spot as many pineapples as George, Riggs, or myself, as well as some other people who have done poorly this season. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I also have a podcast called uh, Friendsman that I do with my buddy Nate Kylie, and we are rewatching Friends. And looking at it from a boy, that's kind of problematic filter, but also lovingly. And that's it. Both great shows have uh, have a great time guesting on Friendsman and a great time additionally hosting. We heard about Pluto. It's a lot of fun. And I was mostly kidding about being a stick in the mud. I really enjoy the show as well. I have a great time watching it and also have a great time Talking about it with my buddies Riggs and JP. Yeah, can you can you tell me what uh, movie Riggs is doing, or is that you don't announce it? Um, good question. Do I want to announce it? Mm, okay, it's fine. We're doing Malignant, so <laughs> that'll that'll be very hell good. yes. Yeah, that'll be great. Oh, I can't wait to rewatch that and another modern movie, very modern. So we've had a few come up recently, which is interesting. We're, we're in a heyday. There's some good horror movies. There's some really good stuff. All right, what else? Uh, as far as my plugs, follow me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. That username applies pretty much everywhere, including the Patreon, baby. It's Christmas time. If you want to be a little Santa Claus or a little Hanukkah Harry, and you want to be like, oh, I'm going to give George the greatest gift of all, which is $5 a month. And then I also give you a present, which is bonus episodes every month and early access to episodes. And you can come on the Discord and and talk with us about all the movies you're watching. It's a great time. Totally worth the $5 a month. And uh, look, if you don't want to spend any money on your Christmas gift to me, you can always rate and review. Help fight that dreaded algorithm. More important now than ever, now that Twitter is closing the door on us, non-checked rabble. Um, What else? Also, yeah, I... uh, Oh, I... When this comes out in two days... I will be guesting on Two Old Queens. So, very fun episode, very fun podcast in general with Mark Ranney and John Flynn. You should already be listening to that show. We had a really fun time, and, you know, I already talked about Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 on here. Spoiler alert for that episode dropping into your feeds. That movie, we picked Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker. So... <laughs> Get to hear all about if that is the gayest movie ever made on Two Old Queens on Wednesday. 
And uh, check out the rest of their episodes as well, because they're all really great. That's pretty much it, I feel like. Next week is, yeah, Malignant, so look forward to that. And then I actually haven't even decided what movie I'm picking yet. I think it might be Donnie Darko, but I also am like, that will get picked eventually. And is there a movie that I want to pick that will not get picked (laughs) otherwise? So who knows? Who knows what it'll be? Maybe it'll be Donnie Darko, maybe it won't. You'll have to wait and find out. (laughs) All right, everyone. Bye. Smooches.